Another year, another Big Ten Football Media Days is in the books. We are through two days. And welcome into Scarlet and Gray Sports Recap. Tyler Danberg alongside Caleb Spinner with you. And Caleb, we're wrapping up a successful day trip to Indianapolis at Lucas Oil Stadium for day two of Big Ten Football Media Days. Football, my friend, is in the air. It's right around the corner. And what better way to get things started before training camp next week than media days? And neither of us have been here before. This was a really cool experience. Getting to take the car trip, which, of course, you and I share the same taste in music, which is a make or break of a car trip. But I digress. Uh, the the car drive was fine. Uh, the accommodations were spectacular. Lucas Oil Stadium is a magnificent venue and then the the kind of content that we walked away with after a full day 10 a.m to 5 p.m of press conferences was just unparalleled this is an amazing event that the big 10 puts on and it served its purpose of not only giving writers enough stuff to write about going from now to the end of training camp start of the season but it also gave us the energy the hype the altitude the amplification of football season. And there's been so much going on this summer in the Big Ten that we will talk about here on Scarlet and Gray Sports Recap throughout this recap show. There's been the talk of expansion. There's been name, image, and likeness. And now that football is starting to happen, we're starting to talk some pigskin. It seems like, though, Caleb, that there's just a lot of great buzz, healthy buzz, and excitement over Big Ten football after last year. There still was some uncertainty. Two years ago, Media Days was done completely via Zoom, so things are really looking up right now for the conference. Yeah, knock on wood, we're out of the woods with COVID, uh, at least in terms of how athletics is concerned with the big uh, bowl ineligibilities after positive tests and delayed starts and shortened seasons. you got to imagine we're out of the wood by now going into year three of this whole shindig. But also, the of course, we got questions on expansion. UCLA and USC joining and actually pulling the trigger on jumping in didn't help us with that calm down, everybody focus on the teams that are already in the conference before we start envisioning what else could happen. So, of course, you got that question. And, of course, with the comments from Sean Clifford and Ryan Day talking about his budget for NIL, you knew you were going to get a couple uh, inquiries about that. So you got your typical ones, but then I was pleased to hear a lot about depth of teams, about what training camp strategies are, about week one matchups. There was a lot of good stuff that outweighed the predictable questions, which surprised me a lot, and I was really pleased with that. There were a lot of different things going on and a little bit of everything, like you just said, happening on both days. We were there, and we will be recapping day two, but first, we'll quickly get you caught up on day one, Indiana Iowa, Maryland, Michigan, Minnesota, Nebraska, and Northwestern all spoke. Some storylines, Jim Harbaugh took to the podium, or as we were corrected on Twitter today, it's called actually a lectern, which was uh, an interesting tidbit. But It's a church term. Yes, it, it is. So I guess that was the proper terminology, but hey, we digress. Preach. <laughs> <laughs> Jim Harbaugh did speak about Michigan. He talked about his returning guys and talked about the mindset that Michigan has, and they want to try and beat Ohio State and Michigan State 
all in the same year. That's a big goal for them. But day two got started early at 11 a.m. as Purdue head coach Jeff Brom took to the stage. Here's a couple things he had to say on his team and what they're bringing to the table in 2022. Well, that's been the key to our improvement is I do think we've improved the defensive side of the ball. Uh, we've tried to play more aggressive. We've tried to uh, challenge our guys to guard things tighter and to be aggressive in our approach, find ways to get after the quarterback. Um, and I think in order to win at a high level, you have to be really good on defense. You have to play complementary football and offense, which means that you've got to be great at what you do. But if you have to need, if you have to run the ball occasionally, you have to be able to run it. It has to, if you have to find ways to control the clock occasionally, you have to find ways to do that and so that your defense and is on the field all the time. I think we got better at special teams. Uh, we still need to make improvements there. But I like the direction we're going in, in that aspect. Uh, I think our defensive guys um, understand that uh, they can achieve and be as good as they want to be if we allow them to do that, if we give him the proper package to help them be aggressive in their approach and be able to take chances and play free. So I think our guys have really grown in that aspect. We have to play complimentary football in order to win, but I, I have great confidence in our defense, and I think we'll see more guys emerge. We lost George Karloftis, who was an outstanding player, great leader, a tremendous teammate, and we're going to have to find ways to to pick up the pieces from there. So there you just heard Jeff Brom after a 9-4 and four season last year talking about the need to play complementary offense. Now, Caleb, a huge storyline for Purdue that was talked about in that clip and was talked about throughout all of Coach Brom's availability was the loss of receivers, including David Bell, an All-American. Milton Wright was another big loss. And then another departure all-American defensive end George Karloftis but it seemed like there still is a lot of depth returning for the Boilermakers this year. This was a bit of a test with Purdue giving up so much to the NFL draft. This was a test to see where and for lack of better term I'm going to use blame here where the blame gets put for a season that did not live up to their expectations and not to say that I was surprised but I respect the fact that Brom came out there and painted the picture like it is. He was honest. He said that the improvement was required in all three levels of play, meaning offense, defense, and special teams. Easily could have blamed the departure of two of his best wide receivers, David Bell and Milton Wright, as saying that the offense needed work. He could have singled out one of these areas and made it the scapegoat. But instead, he said, I'm responsible I understand that all aspects of our game need there because that's what makes a good football team. And he owned that. And that was really cool. It was reassuring to hear that acknowledgement of the growth without the draft departures essentially being blamed for where Purdue finished last year or the potentially shaky season they would have this year. That was a really interesting thing that he noted. Although they lost a lot of receivers in their star power, Coach Brom said he felt they gained more depth going into this season at the receiver position. And a couple of those guys that could enhance the passing game spoke at Media Days. Payne Durham, the senior tight end, spoke for the Boilermakers along with Cam Allen, the safety. Jalen Graham, the linebacker safety hybrid, also spoke. And rounding it out for Purdue was the quarterback, Aiden O'Connell. And Caleb Purdue, they're going to be in good hands because O'Connell... 
is one of the top returning quarterbacks in the league. Many are saying that he's definitely at least number two or number three coming into the season. Yeah, C.J. Stroud, of course, number one. Aiden O'Connell, potentially number two. In contention as well, I'd put Graham Mertz, who we'll talk about later in here. Potentially Sean Clifford, too. You can't ignore what he did. So there's a lot of talent in the Big Ten. Duh, we know this. But where this is going to be the Aiden O'Connell show is how he uses the depth. It's one thing to have it. It's the other thing to use it. Aiden O'Connell is going to have to grow this season in recognizing depth, building the strengths of his depth. Who's good deep? Who can I rely on in the backfield? Who can I check it down to in trouble? What are these guys specialize in? And how can I utilize that in game situations? This is going to be a season of adaptability for Aiden O'Connell and I, for one, think he can do it. It's just about will he and how soon does he do it. And he's going to face a Penn State defense week one, no less, although that will be at home for a blackout in West Lafayette. Now we will transition to Illinois as Brett Bielema, after a 5-7 and seven season last year, was able to sit down and talk to the Big Ten media for his availability right after the Purdue headman Coach Jeff Bromted. Uh, a couple things just to hit on. Um, we actually start this week. Uh, there's only one other time in my career where we actually started in the month of uh, July. So we start Saturday because we play week zero against Wyoming uh, and then have a Friday night turnaround at Indiana uh, and then have a rematch game against Virginia before we have a bye week. So we, we kick it off in a big way. I'm uh, very excited about my team. Probably one of the things that I'm really uh, just thankful for is I probably know our roster now better than I ever have. Been there over a year and a half. Um, uh, have added a lot of players, but also developed a lot of players into the way we think, how we do things, and and are able to get them. I think just knowing our roster, uh, not that I didn't like our roster a year ago, it's just you're just more comfortable. You know their strengths, you know their weaknesses, you know how they handle moments. We've had experiences now through a five and seven football team um, uh, a year ago to all those players coming back to the new players we've added. So uh, very excited about that. So Caleb, Brett Bielema, your takeaways from what he had to say in his 15-minute conference earlier today well he seemed apologetic Tyler and in in echoing the same kind of deal that Brom did he he took responsibility for the team's five and seven season last year but he seemed to the point where he held himself personally responsible and was visibly distraught about it and I think that's a big piece of growth again uh, for a guy who's coming into his second year as the head coach in the Big Ten especially a, a guy who's been here before but never at this at this uh, leadership position that he's in now. This was big for him to take responsibility and own up to that. And I think the f the first step in, in solving a problem is admitting you have one. N acknowledging five and seven, not going to cut it. We're going to make the the notable steps to improve that. That was big for Coach Brett Bielema. And you could hear it in the audio clip, especially at the end that we just played. He is excited for what can happen in year two. There is a lot of optimism in Urbana-Champaign. There's no doubt about it. And at the end of his answering questions, the end of his availability, he said that the way we played at the end of the year to beat Wisconsin and Northwestern really tells him the growth of that first season. You'd have to think that that's got to be the case, that it sets, a, sets the tone for what this current campaign can really shape out to be. Well, it all depends on how well it carries over. It can roll over into overconfidence or it can roll over into hunger. That We've seen both happen in our careers of broadcasting. So it depends on the energy that 
Illinois is looking back at that game with. Do they look back at it as we finished great, chalk this up to a good end of the year, let's close the books on last year and start anew? Or do they take that energy into this season? Do they hold on to it through summer, through the spring camp, through into the summer, and now into training camp? What does Illinois do with this attitude? I think that's going to be the big determining factor. They've got the talent to make this a great start. Even the shootout with Penn State, nine overtimes. That was a pretty big showcase against one of the Big Ten's consistently best teams in the conference. So you've got a lot of good to come out with. It's just how do you use it and how fresh in your mind is it? And with one less week of preparation because they're going to play one of those week zero games against Wyoming, then go right into conference play. They were sent to Big Ten Media Days. Illinois was by Coach Bielema. Isaiah Williams, the defensive back, turned wide receiver. Jartavius Martin, another defensive back. And probably for the first time ever in Big Ten Media Day's history, a set of twins, defensive back Sidney Brown and running back Chase Brown. Now up to East Lansing we go as Mel Tucker, the reigning Big Ten Coach of the Year, spoke highly of a hungry Michigan State Spartan squad. A year ago, last season, 11-2, for us, it was just really a step in the right direction. That's, that's really what it was. We did some good things, but nobody cares what you did last year. We, we certainly don't. Um, We've got a lot of work to do. We have improved tremendously this out of season, you know, on the field and off the field. We are extremely hungry, extremely hungry, and we do have a chip on our shoulder. We've got a lot to prove. Uh, We have a a very high standard of performance, and we have decided as a program to attack that standard every single day. There's a lot of work being done in East Lansing right now as we speak. We're actually putting the work in. We're chopping wood every day and the goal for us is to win every game on our schedule so the audio you just heard was basically the beginning of mel tucker's opening statement talked about a culture shift talked about how hungry they are coming into this year despite going 11 and 2 how does michigan state build onto that and what did it seem like mel tucker tried to portray michigan state as in his media availability. Well, forget Michigan State for a minute. Ohio State and Michigan need to be sweating themselves if this attitude pulls off. If if Michigan State comes out of this summer into the fall, a new and improved fighting force on the football field with the culture shift that Tucker is talking about, this is terrifying. Now hold your horses. Do I think that the Spartans in one year of change can get to where the consistent level of success that Michigan and Ohio State have? No. There is a huge gap in talent. There's a huge gap specifically in recruiting talent that it, you're, you're, and it's an ignorant statement if you say that that plays no effect in it. So Michigan State, this, is, this could be the beginning of something for them. But again, just like with Illinois, do they hold on to it? Words are pretty. Saying things are great. But do you do it? This is a scary thought to see if, if Michigan State comes out with this Alabama attitude, this Ohio State attitude, Michigan attitude, East Lansing against the world. Does it happen? And if it does, I think this becomes a very big shifting point for Michigan State. And you talk about an overall shifting point. This is going to be the first time on this show where we're going to mention the transfer portal on this recap. 
And Mel Tucker explained it really well in his presser. Caleb, can you go further into depth into what Mel Tucker was talking about when he explained the difference between his approach to going after guys in the transfer portal and then building talent based off of kids coming out of high school? You know, we talk about a lot in our industry, Tyler, how different the college game is from the professional. It's a lot of time when an NFL coach or a college coach makes the jump to the NFL. How different these two games are. How completely unequal these worlds are. But what Tucker said at the lectern, taking our Twitter advice, is he compared the world of college football to the world of professional football in saying that the transfer portal was free agency and the recruiting classes was the draft. And it's one of those things where, yeah, it makes sense. But when you're sitting there and you hear it, you go, wow, yeah, that makes sense. Why has nobody said this out loud before? Or at least why has nobody said this on a, on a stage in front of as many media guys as this basically made this as well known? Because it is a very common thought once you take a second to think about it. And that's the attitude that you have to have in this. You have to be actively pursuing these recruits, doing the research like you would for draft players in a, in a professional league. You have to be doing your research into looking at what these free agents, quote-unquote, transfer portal players can do to your team. You have to be putting in the same amount of research as if you're going towards a Super Bowl that you do going to week one of college football because that's how winning programs are made. Coach Tucker didn't call it free agency, but he called it building a supplemental roster. That's what he did last year. He brought in Kenneth Walker from Wake Forest, and he was a Heisman finalist as a running back. He's looking to do the same. Now, it's going to be an interesting thing brewing in East Lansing about who lines up in the backfield alongside quarterback Peyton Thorne. Is it the Wisconsin transfer? Is it Jalen Berger? Or is it another transfer in Jarek Broussard? That's going to be a question that Mel Tucker is going to have to answer soon. He was joined by the trio of safety Xavier Henderson, wide receiver Jaden Reed, and the quarterback Peyton Thorne coming off a 27-touchdown, 10-interception season for the Spartans last year in his first season as the starting quarterback. Michigan State, Caleb, it's safe to say things are looking even more up from them. And now expansion. First time we're really going to talk about expansion when we discuss UCLA, USC, and for the first couple times and the first couple teams at Media Days and Day 2, partner, it wasn't mentioned too much. But then when Rutgers head coach Greg Schiano took to the podium, took to the lectern, took to the stage, whatever you want to call it, he gave his thoughts on expansion, and he gave a great answer. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about UCLA and USC coming into the league. I think what it does is it takes a great league, and it just made it greater. Uh, Like-minded institutions, academically, athletically, our footprint spreads from New York to L.A. I mean, it doesn't get a lot better than that. And, uh, you know, I know there's some concerns about travel and those things. You know, you do it. You figure it out. Uh, but it's really super for our league. And, uh, you know, that other stuff I don't even concern myself with. That's that's not my business. You know, you do what you need to do in the times that you're in. And I'm really I'm really proud of our conference for doing something that puts us right there. You know, those two leagues, those are special. And uh, as I said earlier, I'm I consider ourselves blessed to be a member. Putting it in black and white 
Rutgers is having a hard enough time adjusting to the teams already in the conference, much less those who could potentially join it. However, I think this is as best the stance could be put that Shiano could deliver. This is the best way you could have said it, bringing in academics into the thing, bringing in the the shared values of the teams in the conference, going after the Selma to Montgomery mark that the uh, Big Ten had that was talked about earlier in the in the Big Ten media day. This makes it more than more than football, more than sports, and that's the right way to pursue it. Now, I do share the excitement. You knew you were going to get a, an expansion question at some point. Here's here it was about midway through our coaches lineup, but that's the that's the right way to pursue it. I think Rutgers did. It's kind of a non-answer in we like it, but also we're fine with where we are. So it was good to really teeter that line, but also make it more about af- more about academics and things outside of athletics than keeping it confined to the football field. On our drive back from Indianapolis, Caleb, I asked you which coach stuck out to you the most, and most of your answer was Greg Schiano. Yeah. Was part of that the reason why? Part of it is that, and the second thing was going back to what we were talking about, about uh, Mel Tucker with the Berger and Broussard argument. And Shiano was talking about the position battles that he has, and his philosophy I agreed with wholeheartedly. He just said, let it play. Let them resolve. Why are we talking about this as being a big-time issue? Let it figure itself out. Either one of them is going to outperform the other eventually, however late that is, or you just play them both. And he was talking about his quarterbacks, not the running backs, but it can be any position. Who cares if you have to split reps for the first three weeks if by week four you've got your guy? Let them figure it out. Let them outwork each other, and you really get to see what they're made of. Who cares who starts week one if they both get playing time and they can both add notable things to your roster? Who cares? You and I are both Browns fans. Do we really have... Of course, we probably have opinion that Nick Chubb is better than Kareem Hunt, but on any given run play, do we really care who's in the backfield as long as one of them is? No, because we know that they are both capable of getting the job done. If you got guys like quarterbacks, like Rutgers had, where you know both of them could command a starting offense, then split them by all means, or wait until they work themselves out. Point being, don't waste energy trying to sort out something that you have no control over. The Scarlet Knights finished 5-8 and eight last year, 6th in the Big Ten East, bottom of that division, but Shiano cited a lot of optimism earlier today or earlier Wednesday, late morning. He said Rutgers is a program in a school on the rise, and he also happens to have one of the top weapons in college football. No, it's not a skill player, not a position player per se, but it's punter Adam Korzak, the Melbourne Australian native who we happen to speak to today at Big Ten Media Days, and boy, was that a treat to have a conversation with him? Yeah, he is an upstanding bloke. Uh, I, I talked to him a little bit. We compared at Media Day to Jesse Mirko, who is another Australian punter, conveniently at our Ohio State. But this is where I think was the sort of surprising, but where the real endorsement of Corsac, not just as a player, but as a person, came out, is when Greg Schiano used these three different uh, phrases coins, statements, whatever you want to call him, to describe his punter. Quote, ultimate competitor. He's a punter, and you called him an ultimate competitor. You have to really stick out in your mind to be called that. 
The second thing, the most interesting man in the world, saying that he could go up in a Dosecchi's commercial if he wanted to. There's a, there's a wild side to this guy. There's a sense of mystery. And then the second thing was talking on behalf of Rutgers, saying that they were grateful to have him for another year. If that doesn't speak to the value that Corsac has, not just on the field, but off it, in their office, in their training rooms, in their weight room, I don't know what does. Being grateful was a common theme we saw from every team at these conferences, especially in day two. And that was indicative as well when Penn State head coach James Franklin took the floor and talked about the impact of Sean Clifford, not just on the field, but off the field. Take a listen to what he had to say on what has came out as of recent that Sean Clifford's doing for NIL benefits. You know, one of the things I, I did want to address is obviously um, you know, some of the reports that were made with, with Sean Clifford uh, and the Big Ten improving you know, athlete benefits. You know, one of the things I'm, I'm very, very proud of is the relationships um, that we have with our players at Penn State. It's something that I truly believe in uh, and having these open discussions and dialogue uh, with your players is important. Pat has got on campus and has jumped in with both feet and has done a really good job in a very, very short period of time of developing those relationships as well. And to me, that's the nature of college athletics and college football right now, that you're, you better be willing and able to have discussions that maybe we haven't had in the past. There's been more changes in college football over the last three years than probably the previous 25. And um, those, are, those are great discussions and dialogue. And I'm, I'm blessed and fortunate to have a team and an administration that's willing to have these conversations. At the end of the day, our players, and specifically Sean, uh, want what's best for college athletics, want what's best for Penn State, uh, what, want what's best for the Big Ten. So I couldn't be more proud of them. Um, but any of the details and, and specifics uh, that we have dealt with kind of behind the scenes within our family and within our organization, I'm not going to get into them today. Uh, and obviously happy about moving forward and talking about you know our season and the upcoming opponents. So some more background quickly on the quarterback, Sean Clifford, what he's been able to do. He came out and sat down with Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren a couple days ago to have a collaborative discussion about improving benefits for current college football players. And James Franklin had his back right by his side. NIL, another topic of discussion at Big Ten Media Days, and I think this was really where it came to the forefront. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you hadn't really heard those three initials put together in that acronym up until this point in the press day. And, of course, it figures that Penn State would be where it's brought up, considering Clifford was at the front of it. And and then, of course, we got some with uh, Ryan Day about his budget of the $13 million to keep his, his team intact. So you knew it was going to come out at some point. I liked James Franklin saying that that Penn State had this connection with their athletes that was unique to them, specifically not mentioning football alone, you know, being able to tie that from everything to from basketball to bowling you know, under that umbrella. So I think he partially advertised for Penn State that we care about our athletes, but then also sort of no answered. You know, we let, we'll do what we want for our athletes. We endorse him the wholeheartedly. You saw I was with him at that Kevin Warren interview or the Kevin Warren discussion. So clearly we care at Penn State. I think that perhaps this is getting a little bit out of hand when Ryan Day needs to request $13 million to keep a roster intact. 
I think there's a lot more that holds together a football team than money. So I think Franklin, getting back to the topic at hand, Franklin both voiced his encouragement to support his players, but didn't outright say that that was financially. And I think that's the smartest way to do it. And there still is that loyalty, especially with Penn State. Sean Clifford, he comes into this season third all-time in school history and passing yards behind Trace McSorley and Christian Hackenberg. And, and he then, could break that this year. Absolutely, just a couple hundred yards behind, or a couple thousand, I should say. And then you've got the defensive lineman, P.J. Mustafer, who you got to talk to a little bit <laughs> when he had his individual podium. This, Sorry, I'll, I'll let you finish it up, but I, you can tell I'm excited to get to him. Bob. No, no, you, you carry on. He only played six games last year. He got hurt against Iowa out for the season, but he decided to return, forego the draft, and come back for a fifth season. Yeah, so the other part of our conversation when we were trying to get through that awful traffic out of Indianapolis getting onto I-70 was you asked me who my favorite coach was from that uh, from the from the media day today, but you also asked what player, and P.J. Mustafer was my favorite player that we got to talk to today because of the two answers he gave me. So the first one I asked was uh, was what he thought of Ohio State, the biggest game on their schedule, typically. What he thought of that being a noon game and not a whiteout. They didn't really put a lot of hype to it when they scheduled this game this year. And he essentially said something to the tune of, we could play them at 1 in the morning, it doesn't even matter where, we'd still have to bring our A game. So clearly a guy who's not distracted by the superficial things, not to say that we are, but at least to the fans are. They love the big games. They love the big hype. Love the night games. Love Hollow Weekend. Stuff like that. So you could tell he was clearly business. But then the other thing. Asking him how he was coming off his injury. On a scale of 1 to 10. Where's his recovery at right now? And what does that number mean? He said simply. 25. And then said take that to the bank. Now I think that's pretty clear what 25 on a scale of 1 to 10 means. So I didn't ask him to quantify what that what that stands for. But you can tell that the man is both focused on the task at hand, primarily beating Ohio State but also generally just winning as many games this season as possible, but also has one heck of a sense of humor at the same time. Always good to have personality at these media days and the personality that does not stop there. That's for sure. So Clifford and Mustafer Two seniors joined by another senior, Jair Brown, the ball-hawking safety who had double-digit interceptions last year. That's a wrap on Penn State. We now shift gears to our final non-Ohio State team of day two. Last year, a 9-4 and four season was not good enough for Wisconsin to really crack the Big Ten top of the standings, but... Wisconsin head coach Paul Christ had a lot to say about Wisconsin and it is still backing quarterback Graham Mertz. I've, I've appreciated the way that Graham has approached this you know, offseason from coming back in, in the winter and, and spring and summer. And, and uh, you know, last year he, he was a leader in, in many ways and, and you know, he's continuing to do that and he's taking ownership of the things that he needs to do and does a great job of communicating and working with the rest of our players and because and, it's it's about all of us right and i think a good leader it's it's how can you certainly you got to lead by example but also how can you help others to be the best they can be and i think 
he's trying to do that, and, and I'm seeing him do that. You just heard Coach Chris talking about Graham Mertz, who's ultimately trying to rekindle the start of his Wisconsin career after he got started in 2020. He was ultimately one of the best quarterbacks in the Big Ten that year, and especially at that start of the year, but then he started to fade away. But Paul Chris, still a believer in him, and spoke highly of his leadership on that audio in which you just heard. Yeah, and as he should, I, Grand, Mer Grand Mertz was one of my favorite non-Ohio State quarterbacks in the Big Ten last year. You get to watch him play, you see what a leader he is, and you heard it a bit in that clip uh, from Coach Christ. But this, this is clearly a guy who has leadership potential, who has potential maybe for a Heisman. He'd have to do a lot. He'd have to have like a Matt Coral season blended in with a little bit of C.J. Stroud, a little bit of Bryce Young, you know, one of those bigger guys in there. So he's a guy that's capable, and me saying that, he's a guy who's capable of a lot of good. But he's just got to have, number one, the weapons around him, which it remains to be seen whether Wisconsin does. Because 9-4 and four is a decent year, but it's not the year they wanted, obviously. And then he has to have the support behind him on the coaching staff. He's got to be able to work with his position coach, work with Coach Chris, work with the offensive coordinator to really play to his strengths, whether that be play action, whether that be out of the shotgun, whether that be the deep ball, mid ball, shallow, uh, in the slot, whatever that is. They really have to set up Graham Mertz to succeed here because he's going to try to let the other guys succeed around him. He's going to lead by example, as Coach Chris said in his interview, but they've got to set him up. Wisconsin does. And him and the passing game are going to be relied on heavily a lot more than their typical smash mouth, run the ball ways because they bring in a new offensive coordinator. That's Bobby Ingram, who spent the last six years with the Baltimore Ravens of the NFL. He's going to spread the ball out. He's going to utilize a lot of play action. Paul Christ said a lot about Bobby Ingram. He's got a tremendous amount of respect for him. And they said, Wisconsin, they believe that they are a better team with him. And you hate to admit it as a Browns fan, but that Baltimore de that Baltimore offense rather is phenomenal. I get frustrated every time I see Lamar Jackson bust open in the pocket. But then picturing that that's the guy who Graham Mertz is going to learn from this year, look out, world. If you put legs on Graham Mertz, watch out. Because that's a guy who's not only going to teach you how to run, how to get out of those sticky situations like Lamar's had, but also how to set up your receivers down deep. Because not only did we see the legs of Lamar last year, but we also saw his arm get showcased in a degree to which we haven't seen before in his play. Now, I talk a lot about Lamar Jackson because that's you've got to imagine who Graham Mertz is going to try to evolve into given the pieces around him on the coaching staff. I like that picture. I like Wisconsin with that playing style. But again, it's going to be formatting the team around him. It's going to be getting those receivers who can make separation down the field. It's going to be teaching him how to read pocket, feel pressure, read the pocket collapsing, feel pressure, and get out of it. There's a lot of stuff that's going to need to happen here. But I think bringing in a guy from such a successful organization as the Baltimore Ravens is a step in the right direction for that. And another guy who got just as much recognition from Paul Christ as Graham Mertz, the quarterback, and Bobby Ingram, the new OC, is Braylon Allen, the big monster truck of a running back that many believe is going to be the next great running back that'll join the likes of an Alan Amici, a Ron Dane, Monte Ball, Melvin Gordon, 
Jonathan Taylor, the list goes on and on and on. And he certainly, and again, he's another guy who's got the potential to do that. We'll, we'll, we have yet to see where he'll shake out in terms of, not the depth chart, we know he's probably going to be the top guy there, but in terms of does he live up to the hype? That's the big question as we get into this training camp, not just this year, but each and every year. Not just with Wisconsin, but each and every team. Does the hype live up? Now, there's varying degrees of that because certain teams have shown consistently that the hype they are able to live up to. Ohio State, Michigan, sometimes Penn State, sometimes Michigan State. But Wisconsin has to be one of those people who, you look at them, they've got it. They have it there. But can you take that extra step? Can you take that extra inch and use it as effectively as it appears on paper? And Allen's a guy who can do that. Keanu Benton, the senior nose tackle, and Nick Herbig, the junior linebacker that will have a lot on his plate this year. They joined Graham Mertz as the other Badgers at the podium. And now for the final team on day two of Big Ten Media Days, the team that we will be calling games for throughout this season, the Ohio State Buckeyes, after what many will call an underwhelming season last year, they did go 11-2, they did win a Rose Bowl, but they did lose to Michigan, and Ryan Day said on Wednesday, his three goals, beat Michigan, win the Big Ten title, win a national championship, they didn't do it last year, they need to move forward, but it looks like things are pointing, even in the preseason, that they can do it. Give a listen at what Ryan Day has to say. We've had a really good offseason, and I think it's, uh, it's great to see a team come together. Uh, I think everybody, every coach will say they had a great offseason, so I'm not just going to fall in line, but, but I'm excited at what this team is, and I'd, I'd kind of uh, describe them as edgy this offseason. Um, uh, we do start with Notre Dame early in the year. Um, I want to thank Buckeye Nation because there's just so much excitement around our program this year. Uh, that game and the last game, the rivalry game at the end of the year is already sold out. Uh, our our uh, home schedule. I think there's only season or single tickets available right now. Uh, so there's been a lot of excitement around that and a lot of excitement around this team. So as we head into the preseason, this will be an important preseason. We've got to start off the season well. We've got to play well in our first game. And um, and that starts next week. And you got to love the attitude at which Ryan Day comes at this media day, talking about the edginess and the strong offseason that he has this year with his team. There is going to be a revenge tour for Ohio State. It's safe to say that. The the most famous quote to come out of Media Days today, I think from any coach, dare I say, came from Ryan Day when he talked about last season and how much of a disappointment it was. Quote, maybe at some places 11-2 and two and winning the Rose Bowl is a good year. It isn't at Ohio State, end quote. That, combined with his we have been edgy all offseason mentality and the message that he had at the lectern. This tells me that Ohio State is ready to scrap, to claw, to fight, to do whatever they need to do to get back to that level of success at which they normally are, meaning Big Ten Championship, meaning potentially National Championship. He said there's three goals at Ohio State. Beat that school up north, win the Big Ten Championship, win the National Championship. This is the right way to go in the gritty, hard-nosed, smash-mouth football I think Ohio State, if they get back to that kind of attitude and they embrace it as maybe the villains in college football of not being the preppy, shining silver helmets with the beautiful, bright scarlet uniforms, but the get down in the mud and fight for every yard of the field 
team that they have been known for in the past, look out. National Championship 2023. You know what you're getting with the offense? One of the top returning offenses. Last year they were averaging just a tad bit under 50 points per contest. And that was with a quarterback who had not thrown a football in the college game before that season in then redshirt freshman C.J. Stroud. We'll talk about more on him in a minute. But the defense was something that needed an identity boost and an identity change this offseason. So what did they do? They went out and got Oklahoma State defensive coordinator Jim Knowles, who was not in Indianapolis on Wednesday was not in Indy that entire week, but boy, was he sure the topic of discussion, him and his 4-2-5 defense. We couldn't go four minutes without somebody mentioning him. Four questions, four minutes, whatever unit of time you want to use. But that I mean, I mean, that's, the stop, that's the topic, isn't it? Because you look at the backlash that Kerry Coombs got uh, last year on the defensive side as soon as things started to slip. There is a lot of pressure. As much as we talk about C.J. Stroud, Jackson Smith and Jigba, even over the draft season, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, the defense is a big point of conversation for Ohio State, not only media like ourselves, but fans as well. They want to see the scarlet guys come out and just blast offenses away. They want to see picks like they had in, in uh, Akron with Ronnie Hickman running it back for a touchdown. They want to see hard-nosed sacks as in the days of Joey and Nick Bosa. They want to see a return to that defensive dominance just as much as they want to see C.J. Stroud blow everybody out with five touchdowns in a performance like we had in the Rose Bowl or something like that from Jackson Smith and Jigba. So defense is important. You knew it was going to be, and there's a lot of unknown with Knowles. So you knew he was going to be the topic of conversation as people try to understand what he brings to the Buckeyes. Representing the defense is a veteran of Ohio State, Ronnie Hickman, the safety. It's going to be a safety-heavy defensive backfield under Knowles' new defensive system. What were your takeaways from what Ronnie Hickman had to say this week in Indy? Well, I don't envy his position, I'll say that. And you touched on it a little bit. A guy who's been in this program for several years has had basically a different position coach every one of those years. So he's had a lot of adjusting to do, and it fits that that's the position of safety he's played up until this point as adjuster safety. But he is going to once again, you know, it's the Bernie Bernie Sanders meme. Once again, I am asking you to change to another defense and change your responsibilities on the football field. This is something that Ronnie is not new to, and when we asked him about it, he said, quote, I'm a student of the game. So you can tell he enjoys this. You can tell he lives for the challenge of reinventing himself every offseason in order to fit with the latest defensive fad. And he was joined by Jackson Smith and Jigba coming off one of the greatest performances receiving-wise in the history of college football. An unbelievable 300-plus performance in the Rose Bowl. And also C.J. Stroud, who happens to return... It looks like as a totally different quarterback and a totally different personality, you could tell on Wednesday, Caleb, he just opened up. He talked about his motivation as an athlete, as a person, and then it was also made clear that he was a guy that was doing a lot for his teammates this offseason as well. He was very bright 
every single time he spoke at the podium. And I don't mean intelligently like he got hit on the head with a dictionary and thesaurus two minutes before he took to the lectern. I mean, he was laughing. He was cracking jokes, some things that we've never seen from him, especially in front of the pressure of the Big Ten Media Day after you lose to Michigan for the first time in forever, after you give up the Big Ten Conference Championship, after you barely squeak by the Utah Utes on one of the biggest stages in college football. He was smiling. He was happy. You could tell he was not only comfortable with his ability but also comfortable with who he was. And this is going to be a big indicator, if you ask me, about the confidence he has this season. If he comes in light and free, but still knowing that he's got a job to do, but if he comes in light and free without feeling this weight on his shoulders, that I'm sure he did at the first few weeks of last season in which he had his worst performances of the year, being he hasn't played a college game, there's a lot of eyes on him. If he comes in without that weight, having played a full season... It's going to be an entirely different C.J. Stroud for the better. He came into media days not even 24 hours removed from being named the only unanimous preseason All-Big Ten selection. So there's no doubt he's already in the spotlight. That's obvious, but he says that he loves the spotlight but also likes to keep to himself because he is a private person still, but definitely opening up and coming out of his shell One thing that stuck out on the more human side of things, not necessarily football when you talk about C.J. Stroud, he's been cooking his teammates a lot of soul food off the field, like mac and cheese. They'll do different cooking nights and have guys over. That's got to be big to have that bond off the field, especially when you're building preseason chemistry. Now, to give credit where it's due, I was talking to Jackson Smith and Jigpa about the cooking, and he said he does bring the ice, which is a big part of cooking so but yes I think these these gestures that CJ Stroud is doing to build his team chemistry and the fact that he's able to joke at Big Ten Media about that and that Jackson is able to say that he's overrated not only in how he cooks but also how he plays basketball considering he doesn't want to play him one-on-one he just wants to shoot now I, I think you can tell the the interaction with those two and he mentioned Ronnie Hickman every time CJ Stroud referred to Ronnie Hickman he called him Rocket by his nickname this is a different CJ Stroud that we've seen and a one that's taking his role of leader to the next level being that guy that his team centers around being the fun guy but being the serious one when he's needed to be this is a great balance for CJ Stroud and I'm glad to see he's embracing this what better than having those three guys represent Ohio State. I don't think he could find another trio, even though Ryan Day did say that he probably thinks that they could have had 10 to 15 guys speak on behalf of the program. He said Hickman, they're going to need that veteran leadership. Jackson Smith and Jigba, one of the more competitive leaders he's ever been around, Ryan Day has. And then C.J. Stroud has grown as the season went on last year and even this offseason where he's had an edge to him. So we'll take you out with C.J. Stroud talking about what motivates him and how that's going to carry him through this season. That's coming up. We'll have more coverage of Ohio State football and Big Ten football on Scarlet and Gray Sports Radio. But for now, for Caleb Spinner, I'm Tyler Danberg signing off for Scarlet and Gray Sports Recap. That's a wrap on day two 
for Scarlet and Gray Sports Radio Big Ten Media Days coverage. Here's CJ Stroud to finish it off. I feel like I maybe should have. I mean, I maybe did, but honestly, I don't think I really did a lot. I feel like I barely touched my potential. I feel like I can do a lot more, and hopefully God uh, blessed me with that opportunity, and uh, I'm working for that. So uh, I definitely feel like I'm, that's my motivation. It's just, um, I mean, the reason I play football is just to dominate. I love I love just the feeling of just, like, dominating somebody. Uh, I think that's the nature of football. Of course, I'm not the physical guy on the field, but it's, it's ways I do it myself, and I just like that. So uh, that's probably my motivation.